Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kalshi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok. Will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down? Or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L-S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The I Am Rappaport Stereo, Stereo Podcast. Live. You're down with Rappaport. Yes, I am. 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 You better tune in, IamRappaport.com. Because every single podcast, you know he drops bombs. I seen him on set, a seasoned vet with true talent. Catch him on his way to CrossFit, rocking the new balance. He asked me to do the track, because he know I rhyme elite. But I'm just waiting for the Robert, Robert De, Niro De Niro line of the week. Breakfast of champions, toasted bagel, cream cheese, and locks. This is I Am Rappaport, the show never stops. You might catch him out in public, stretching his knees. But if you don't listen to the show, yo, wiggle, please. Wiggle, please. This is the I Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we have a classic brand new I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast coming up next. This is museum quality podcasting. The word icon, the word OG is thrown around like Skittles these days. Well, no, no, no. We have a real icon, a real OG 
At some point, this dude will be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He should definitely be in the Hip Hop Hall of Fame. From Cypress Hill, my man, B. Real is here to break it all down, giving us the ingredients of some of his best songs, including including How to Just Kill a Man, working with Chuck D, and some legendary, fantastic golden nuggets from rocking and rolling with one of the most influential, one of the most original groups in music. Coming up next, OG Be Real from Cypress Hill, plus... J.R. Smith of the Cleveland Cavaliers somehow, someway, thinks he should be traded. He has the audacity to think he should be traded. Uh, I was in the emergency room last night for my fucking elephantitis elbow and a few other things. But this is a smash mouth museum quality. I am Rappaport Stereo Podcast coming up next. Miles Jordan. Let me get something real nice, something real proper. Let's go. Oh, sure. Watching football is fun, but it is way, way more entertaining when you have a little action on the games. Guys, you have heard me talking about this week after week, podcast after podcast. But some of you, strangely enough, are still on the sidelines. Whether you are an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy or girl who likes to bet a little bit and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a parlay, pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you can turn 100 bucks into 600 bucks. A parlez-vous parlay? Uh, uh, that's French. There's so much to bet on. NBA action, NFL action, UFC, politics, and more. I told you, this ain't no bullshit. At mybookie.ag, you can bet right now whether or not Kanye West will ever be allowed back in the White House before 2020. I recommend MyBookie because I trust them. They've been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. MyBookie is offering a 50% bonus on all first-time bets. You can follow them on social media at BetMyBookie on Twitter and Instagram. They personally respond to every mention, every question, and DM, not to mention that they've given away nearly $10,000 $10, in free money to their followers this football season. Log into MyBookie right now and do not miss out on your last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus. Use the promo code RAPAPORT, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T. Get your first deposit matched 50%. Oh, gosh. Fantastic 500th I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast episode. 500 fucking episodes. 500 funk-tastic I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast episodes. And here we are with one that might be the very best we've ever done. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this sit-down that I had with with Be Real from Cypress Hill. Talking about the new album, talking about the old album, talking about touring with Chuck D and Prophets of Rage. 
talking about just hanging around Chuck D. All sorts of L.A. stories, Ice Cube stories, war stories, hip-hop stories, and the ingredients on some of the biggest Cypress Hill bangers of all time. So, uh, if you're a premium I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast subscriber, uh, the other day, Halloween actually, Halloween, we released a uh, 10 Spooky Sick Fucks of the Week episode. Um, And on that episode, I was talking about uh, my elbow. I had a fucking uh, bursitis in my elbow. Now it's been diagnosed as bursitis in my elbow. Fucking elbow, swollen up, all banged up, beat up. Uh, went to the doctor, gave me some antibiotics. Pain didn't go away. Kept swelling, kept swelling. Lo and behold, I had to go to the fucking emergency room. I had to go to the fucking emergency room. I have... Algranian bursitis. I'm not even pronouncing it right. Uh, but all, the the Algranian, it's like, you know the little elbow pad we all naturally have on our elbows? That little, you know, space, that spot on our elbows? Uh, well, somehow, someway, uh, it appears, who the fuck knows? You know, these doctors, who the fuck knows? You know, they make you feel good. They make you feel uh, like everything's going to be okay. And then you may not be okay. Um, it's been 24 hours and my elbow still ain't okay. But I, I like the doctors. They seem nice. They seem knowledgeable. Um, but I have bursitis on my elbow. Uh, the, you know, the thin fluid sac that is located at the bony tip of the elbow. The Elcaron, Ulceron. I don't fucking know. But I was in the emergency room last night for about four hours. They gave me IV. They gave me some pain medication. Um... I'm on my way to New York, so I got to fly. So when you have swelling, you got to be careful. Blah, blah, fucking blah. But I do want to give a shout out to all the people, if they're listening, at the Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. Because they were very nice to me. They're very nice to everybody. Um, The registered nurse who checked me in, he said to me before I went back into the ER room. And, you know, you keep it relative. I was in the emergency room. You see, see some fucked up things in there. So I, I'm, I can't complain, but I do. But it was, my, my emergency was el- elbow. It wasn't life-threatening. You see little kids in there, all kinds of shit. But the registered nurse, I didn't get his name, who uh, checked me into the hospital and brought me back to the emergency room, he said to me, I just want to let you know I, uh, I'm a fan. I said, thanks. He goes, we got to get that elbow good because you got to set your lineups for this weekend. And I said, that's right. And he said, who are you playing? And I said, Gorilla. That's all I had to say. And he had a big smile. And he said, oh, we need to get that elbow right. Good luck. Because, of course, I am playing Gorilla Tooth, Monkey Face, Gary Delabonte in the Stern Show this week. I talked about this two weeks ago. I was wrong. I, I shot my load. I, I pre-jacked. I was too, too hyped, uh, too excited about my game against Gorilla that wasn't two weeks ago. It's this week. It is this Sunday. It's going down. It's Gorilla Tooth Gary against the Gringo Man Dingo. It's every single thing that I personally love about fantasy football. Beating this monkey is every single thing that I love about fantasy football. So please, please on Sunday, throw me a little Gorilla Dust. Sprinkle it on me, sprinkle it in the air, 
Sprinkle a little extra uh, uh, sugar, a extra sweet and low in your coffee, whatever, whatever you need to do. And just, I'm just asking you just to think about me because I want to beat this animal. Because while I'm in New York, I will be seeing Gorilla Tooth Gary face-to-face at the Howard Stern wrap-up show. And there's nothing worse than having to look at those fucking green teeth after losing to him. There's nothing better than having to look at those green, dusty teeth after beating his fucking ass. Enough said. So um, because of my trip to uh, New York City that I'm going to, uh, which I'll be at the UFC 230 with our guy, friend of the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, Derek the Beast Lewis, in Madison Square Garden, and a couple other things, see my parents, and blah, 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 blah. It's fall in New York City. Um, I'm excited to... Uh, to get there, um, I had to vote. I had to early vote. Um, and I went and early voted yesterday morning. And, and I have to tell you, it was a, a little bit of a drive. Not that big of a deal. 35 minutes, uh, 45 minutes uh, from where I live. And, and, and I got to the place. And there wasn't that many people there. I got there at 8.30. The polls had opened up at 8. I was registered. I was concerned whether or not it actually worked. Uh, because at one point I tried to register by mail because I knew I was going to New York and whatever. I you didn't know what the fuck. It worked. I got there. They were ready for me. They said, uh, please take a seat. I took a seat. And eight to ten minutes later, they called my wife's name. Then they called my name. And then I went behind the little the little area to vote. It's not like you're in a, like a, a, one of those like old school voting booths. They had a little thing with cardboard and a desk set up. I had to... Uh, lean on it with my uh, uh, bursitis-stricken uh, elbow, and vote. And I'm going to say this. If you are planning on early voting, which I suggest there's less lines, there's less pressure, it's less chaos, there's no protesters, there's none of that stuff where I went in Lancaster, California. I'm sure every city is different, but I would imagine uh, in every city across the country, the early voting has to be less chaotic and less crowded. You need to, I, I implore you, you need to give yourself five, ten minutes, come up with a cheat sheet. Whether you listen to fucking CNN, NPR, Fox News, this one, that one, your cousin, your friend, the guy on the corner. Because when you get in there, and after all the buildup to this November 6th, November 6th, blue wave, red wave, whatever the fuck kind of wave is coming... They ask you all kinds of questions, and it ain't just about people. It's about proposition this, proposition that. And the way they word it, I don't think they try to word it uh, confusing on purpose, but it is confusing. It's a lot of reading. Come up with a little cheat sheet. I live by the motto, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. You have to ask questions before you get there because if they see you acting, acting funny, they won't let you vote. Um, you can only be in there for a certain amount of time, I think. You don't want to be there for an hour, two hours, you know, behind the booth doing your vote. Um, and my suggestion is just, listen, it, it's not like a, you know, a, a final exam. It's not like a midterm for, for college. It's not the SAT, but you need to uh, give yourself a little time for prepare, to prepare before you actually get in the actual voting booth. And I did that. I prepared. I had my cheat sheets. And even then I was like, what the fuck? I was confused, Uh, but I breathed, 
And I made my votes. I cast my votes. I voted early. And you know the motto. You know my voting motto for November 6th, 2018. It's vote or shut the fuck up. I'll say it again. Vote, yeah, or shut the fuck up. There's no pity parties. There's no crying. There's no hashtags. There's no marches. There's no rallies for you. You fuck you if you don't vote either before with an early vote like I did, which I suggest, or on November 6th. Listen, make a day of it. Bring yourself a tuna fish sandwich. Uh, You know, leave early, leave late. You know, cut out of work. Everybody's got different circumstances. People have kids. People are tired. People are annoyed. People are frustrated. People are disenfranchised. But listen, if you don't vote, shut the fuck up. If you don't vote early or on November 6th, shut the fuck up. I am Rappaport Podcast. We're giving away a grill. Paul Wall, OG Paul Wall, Mr. Houston, Mr. Everything, Big Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast fan and supporter and friend is giving away a grill to one I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast fan. A custom grill. Have your shit blinging. Okay, all you need to do is DM I Am Rapport at Instagram. Our Instagram handle is I Am Rappaport, DM us a video why you should get the grill. Maybe show us your teeth. Maybe your teeth are fucked up. Maybe you just want your teeth blinging. But DM us at I am Rappaport on Instagram. Listen, if you don't have Instagram, use your friend's Instagram. DM us, I am Rappaport. Tell us why you want the grill, why you should get the grill. And Paul Wall is going to set you up with a custom grill. Your shit ain't going to fall out. It's going to fit nice and snug. DM us at I am Rappaport. Special 500th episode gold grill giveaway. I read an article about disenfranchised youth. Teens, people in their early 20s who are disenfranchised. And what a load. What a big hot, steaming crock of bullshit. I I was thinking to myself, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, let's say up until 24, 18 through 24, the last thing that anyone can call me or refer to me as is disenfranchised when it comes to uh, the world, politics, and and, and everybody's well-being. Now, I I would say this, I was not informed, and uh, until I was 24... I believe 1994, I don't fact check, but I believe uh, because the first time I voted for a president was Clinton in 1994. I was uh, a shooting true romance and uh, Christian Slater was, was talking like, yo, did you vote? Did you vote? He had, he had showed up late to work because he had voted and there was, you know, lines at the polls and he was late and, and he was insisting, everybody on the set, vote, 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 vote. And, and, and he shamed me into voting. I went and voted. I believe that was 1994. Not fact-checking. I think that's the year we shot uh, uh, True Romance, I think. Um, but see, I am Rapport Stereo Podcast. We don't, we don't fact-check. Um, but the last thing you could call me is disenfranchised. But I read this article, I think it was in The Atlantic or one of these fucking time, the New York Times. No, it was, it, was, it was in one of these New York Magazine, sub, whatever. My mom sent it to me about disenfranchised youth. And I thought to myself, these people aren't disenfranchised. Disenfranchised means like you're beaten down and, and, and your point of view on life and you're like an outcast. Hey, what have you been doing? 
You're 18 uh, to 24 years old. You have been eating food from your parents your whole life. Chicken fingers, macaroni and cheese. Your parents have been making you waffles and pancakes. And, and now it's time to spend 15 minutes at the polls and you're disenfranchised? No. No. Unacceptable. You can't be fucking disenfranchised at 20. Your whole world is in front of you. If you're lazy and you don't, you don't care, that's one thing. But disenfranchised, unacceptable. 18, 19 years old. You've been eating chicken fingers and french fries your entire life. You haven't put on any weight. You got your whole fucking life in front of you. You're finished with puberty. You don't have any pimples on your fucking face. Get out there and vote. I don't want to hear about disenfranchised, lazy. You know what? If they had a, a, a way to vote where anybody who was playing PS, uh, uh, NBA 2K, or Fortnite, or you can vote in between your Instagramming and your social media... So many more people would vote, but that's not the way it works. Right? If you could vote while you're playing Fortnite, every fucking young person would vote. If you could vote while you're playing NBA 2K, every single person would vote. If there was an Instagram page where you could vote and it took about 90 seconds, every single person would vote. Talk about disenfranchised. You got your phone, eh? You got your phone stuffed up your ass. That's why you're disenfranchised. I'd be disenfranchised too if I had an iPhone or, or, or a Samsung phone. Uh, jammed up my ass 24 hours a day. This is a uh, non sequitur uh, change of subject. Whitey Bulger, the infamous Boston mobster. He was uh, portrayed in that movie, uh, what was it, Black Mass. He was sort of loosely depicted in Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack Nicholson film, The Departure. Jack Nicholson's character was uh, inspired by Whitey Bulger. He was on the lam for like 20 fucking years, and they found him in nowhere land in Santa Monica, California. They finally found him. Uh, I don't remember how many years ago, but Whitey Bulger was killed, murdered in prison the other day. He was uh, sent from one prison to another prison because at the former prison that he was out, uh, somebody uh, tried to gouge his fucking eyes out. They shanked one of his eyes out. By the time he got to the other prison, 89-year-old Whitey Bulger, who had a fucking record, murder record, 11 homicides, all kinds of crazy stuff um, that they convicted him of. They convicted him of 11 homicides. Uh, well, he got to prison in this uh, high-security West Virginia prison uh, after they moved him from the other place because they gouged his fucking eyes out. Uh, and uh, 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 an Italian mobster named uh, Freddie Geese. Fotios Freddy Geese. I can't pronounce his name right. I don't want any problem for these guys. As soon as Bulger was in there, uh, they hit him with a uh, like a sock with like batteries in it, killed him, tried to fucking cut his tongue out. Uh, apparently, they didn't cut his tongue out. But listen, you live by the sword, you die by the fucking sword. And all this Wonder Bread bag and olive oil treatment and these killings in jail, this is real. When I told you that my friend, who I'll re uh, shall remain nameless, who is a FBI guy, when he told me that they once found a guy in prison with a Wonder Bread bag hanging out of his ass, I didn't make this up. I did not make this up. The Wonder Bread bag treatment is real. People get murdered in prison. It's not a fun experience. That's me knocking on wood. I don't want to go to jail. I ain't 
about that jail life, but Whitey Bulger, 89 years old, was murdered viciously in prison one day after arriving in there and days after being in another prison after getting his fucking eyes gouged out. Uh, before we get into uh, Be Real from Cypress Hill, I hope everybody had a safe Halloween. Uh, I was talking the other day about the political correctness of costumes. Everybody's upset about this costume. Sean White was playing, uh, he dressed up as the character from, um, what was that, Ben, ben, uh, ben Stiller. Fucking Ben Stiller. You know the movie he directed, uh, Tropic Thunder? The character in there who was uh, the uh, special needs person. That's what you got to call it these days. Or they shut you down. They shut you down. Well, Sean White, you know, Olympic skateboarder. He does all that. He dressed up as the character from uh, Tropic Thunder. Um, the character's name was Simple Jack. The mentally challenged farm boy with uh, multiple disabilities from uh, Tropic Thunder. Everybody was uh, up in arms about that. And then Ben Stiller, uh, he, he said, uh, listen, I apologized about the character uh, when the movie came out, and I'm apologizing now. Uh, I don't know what the fuck I could do. Well, uh, this was topped uh, uh, by, by all of it because Al Roker, you know, the newsman Al Roker, NBC, used to be fat, used to be a fat weatherman. Now he lost all the weight. Friendly Al, that's what they call him, Friendly Al, Al Roker. People went in on fucking Al Roker. If you don't know who Al Roker is, he's black. He's on the Today Show. Well, he dressed up as Doc Brown. You know who Doc Brown is? From Back to the Future? Played by a white actor. He dressed up as Doc Brown. He had the, the, the outfit. He had the gray wig. And people were going nuts on him. Saying, that's cultural, <laughs> cultural appropriation. And they accused him of putting on blackface. He didn't put on any blackface. It was just his skin. People are going nuts. I, I'm telling you, fuck Halloween. It, it, it's become like, a, like if, if you don't do the right costume and run it through uh, the proper channels, you could lose your fucking job. Remember Megan Kelly, this whole thing with her? Well, now they're saying, well, why is it okay for a black person to dress up like a white person? Someone said he put on white face. This is out, this is out of control. Friendly Al Roker dressed up like the character from Back to the Future and all shit broke loose. I'm glad I'm out of the game. 49 years old. Next year, next Halloween, I'll be 40 fucking nine. I ain't dressing up ever again. I ain't getting in trouble for all that bullshit. And finally with me, uh, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith, who uh, Chauncey Billups once told, once told me when I asked him this question, who's the most talented? Talented. Not the best. Just pure talent. Who's the most talented basketball player you ever played with and he said without hesitation J.R. Smith he's considered one of the most talented players we know blah 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 he put it all together one year with the Knicks he was sixth man of the year we know about the shirt off when they won the championship we know about all the the comings and goings of J.R. Smith of course we remember last season in the NBA finals game one he fucked the game up well uh the Cleveland Cavaliers are one in seven they fired Ty Lue as discussed on uh, the 499th Iron Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Um, and now J.R. Smith is requesting a fucking trade. The audacity. J.R. Smith, when the going gets tough, the tough don't ask to get the fuck out of Cleveland. 
Okay, it was all good when Bron Bron was there holding you down. Even Bron Bron couldn't save you. Bron Bron couldn't even save you. He played one of the best games in NBA Finals history, and you fucked it up. And now the team's one and six or one and seven, and you want to be traded? You know what I want? I want a house on a private island off uh, uh, the eastern coast of Hawaii. You, you know what I want? I, I want um, uh, my piss to come out as, as gold bullions. Everybody wants certain things. You can't. Who, who are you, J.R. Smith, to ask to be traded anywhere? You're a fucking liability. The balls of these players. Listen, I'm all for players' rights. Okay, you want to be traded? Okay, no, we're not trading you. Now what are you going to do? You're going to sulk, you're going to cry, you're going to pout, you're going to put your towel over your head. You're getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Shit was all good just a few months ago. Now you don't have Bron Bron there and you just, you just want to step out of there? That's not how it works. You're a fucking liability. You have to earn the right. By your play, by your actions. To ask to be traded. You can't just, I want to be traded. I say they cut this motherfucker. Or if he doesn't play and he doesn't play hard, fine his ass. This is the same guy who just a few months ago infamously got like a, a foot-long Supreme tattoo on the back of his leg and didn't realize that that would... C- Come on, man. J.R. Smith, you have to earn the respect of your bosses, earn the respects of your franchise to get traded. You can't just, I want to get traded because Bron Bron ain't there. How about you, Tristan Thompson, Rodney Hood, Larry Nance Jr., and Kevin Love, you man up and you make the team your own. How about you guys just do that? That's a nice squad. There's no reason why that team shouldn't be competitive in the East. You guys have already thrown in the towel and you want to be traded. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. I told you it was coming. Museum quality. Okay? Hall of Fame quality. Smithsonian. This interview with Be Real will be in the podcast section of the Smithsonian Museum. Coming up next, my man, legendary rapper, legendary weed smoker, Be Real from Cypress Hill and Prophets of Rage. The man needs no introduction. Let's do it. Listen, you guys know that I am all about my NFL football, okay? Now you can combine my knowledge and my writing to win you money. I, me, I picked every single game this week at the sportsbetcollective.com, sportsbetcollective.com, with commentary you will not find anywhere else. I told you, I told you last Friday to check it out, did you? Those who did were rewarded because I, me, Michael Rappaport, the Gringo Mandingo, went 25 and 1. Okay? I went 20 and 1. 25 and 1. That means I had 20 picks that were correct, 5 loss, and 1 tie. That means me, the Gringo Mandingo, I'm better than the Vegas handicappers this year. So far, I'm 25 and 1. Look it up at sportsbetcollective.com. Did you miss out on my Thursday night pick? Get ready for Sunday. Your first pick and analysis is free. Okay, any additional picks just cost you a buck or less if you buy a pack of five. I am here to win you money. 
My record this season is 25 and 1. Look it up. What the fuck? My opinion costs just a buck. That rhymes. What the fuck? My opinion costs just a buck. You don't have to listen to just me. They've also got expert writers picking NBA, NHL, and college football games all week long. Bookmark this page, sportsbetcollective.com. Catch all of my picks at sportsbetcollective.com. Yo, this is this has been a long time coming for me. Big fucking fan. Big fucking fan. Day one fan. Be real, the motherfucking funky feel one. True icon. Thank you. I mean, that like, you know, that, that word gets thrown around a lot with social media icon. These days, yeah. True fucking icon. Uh, uh I remember the first time I saw Kill a Man video. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I, I, it's one of those times I was like, in, in hip hop and music, in art, I was like, yo, what the fuck is this shit? B Reels on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. Thank you for having me, man. Shit. It's been a long time coming. Long fucking time coming. I was on Cypress TV, yep. I was on the Smokebox, and I'm literally a yes. day one, like a fan. And, and we're a fan of you. I know I am for sure. Well, I, I appreciate Love your work that. work all day. I appreciate that. So, one of the rules of the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast is that I don't fact check. But when I have somebody really that I'm hyped about, I have to put down notes and I have to fact check. I'm not going to be able to get into the entire life and times of B-Real and Cypress. So um, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, I think because you smoke weed, uh, is that you're like a hard body karate basketball Lakers season <laughs> ticket holder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So being that you've had season tickets for, for how many years? Uh, since they opened the Staples Center. Okay. Like I, I, you know, I was always on the road, you know, um, at, at the time that they were still at the Forum. So I never had a chance to go check the games at the Forum because we were so busy. But once they got into the Staples Center, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to get, you know, my name in on the tickets. And, uh, you know, I've had them ever since. All right, so it's been a little bit of a rocky start. Oh yeah, for your your LeBron Lakers. Yes, it has. Um, how do you feel? What is you? What is your? I mean, listen, we're in the we're in the smidge of the smidge of the beginning of the season. Where's your head at? The excitement level, the smearing of the murals. I mean, you run these LA streets. Can you control that shit? Like, what is your whole take? You've seen stars. You've seen musicians. You've seen tours. Have you ever seen like a craziness? For something gearing up to it, because now that he's here and that they lost a few games, it kind of like reality is set in. But have you ever seen any kind of like hype? Not like this, you know. And I think it's you know partially because you know for so long when Kobe was playing, they put well, who's better, who's closer to Michael Jordan, and all those comparisons, right? So when he, you know, after Kobe left and he comes here, you got fans like myself that are excited about the shit because we know the possibilities, what he can do, how he can make these guys better. And then you got other guys that are still like, well, he'll never be, this is Kobe's town. Uh, it's like, hey, get the fuck over it. He's here. Uh, you know, it, 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 what bothers me about that shit is that some Wait, of our fans- This is Kobe's town. He's not playing anymore. He's not playing anymore, right? So, But what bothers me the most about it is that everybody complained about not having someone, not having an anchor, a star that could come 
and and take that spot and 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 you know do something with these youngsters and teach them how to win and blah 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 magic johnson pulls the move of moves god bless him as he said he would he don't ever say anything that he can't deliver and he fucking delivered he brought the best basketball player on the planet apparently to the lakers and motherfuckers are complaining and motherfuckers are complaining what do you want a fucking free cadillac with that get the fuck out of here you know it takes time it's true it's a good point it's i look at it like i'm seeing the potential in the young guys and how they're playing with lebron and how he's feeding them and making them better which is what he's there to do he's like a magic johnson type right now he's not taking all the shots he's taking them when he needs to but he's getting the other guys involved I'm a fucking Kobe Bryant fan, and his last three seasons were absolute shit. Right. You know what I mean? So give this guy a chance. Yeah, know? I agree. I agree. But, you know, the, the hype was so, I don't know what they expected. If he had yeah. won the first three games, literally people right now would be going fucking nuts. It's a brand new team. Um, all right. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to jump into this. Right. Um, I'm going to jump all over the place. As I said, when I first saw Killer Man video, this is the video I believe came out in 91. Right. One of the things that I was always uh, curious about was why the fuck in the Killer Man video were you, number one, were you in New York? <laughs> number two, like at the time, there was no Instagram. There was like Source Magazine. There was a very right. few things. It was Ralph McDaniel's Music Box. But it wasn't like we knew all about you guys. Why were you in New York? How the fuck did Q-Tip wind in the video? Wind up in the video, and how the fuck did Ice Cube wind up in the video? Because at the time I was like, "How does he know him? Wait, well, Ice Cube? Ice Cube knows Q-Tip? Wait, who are these fucking guys?" Like, love that question. I love it because no one's ever asked that shit. Fuck yeah! I'll tell you what. We were on tour with Naughty by Nature at the time. They had the number one single, OPP, and all that, right? And they are our boys to this day, and we love them for that. And we were gaining momentum once the, the, the flip side happened for the DJs. They flipped because we put out a double A side in, in uh, Funky Phil 1 and how I could just kill a man. Funky Phil 1 was good, but it wasn't getting the steam that we thought it would. But kill a man, when the DJs flipped the record, boom, it fucking happened. It's, we started getting momentum and they were like, hey, we got to pull these guys off tour for a couple days fly him into new york because that's we were on the east coast so, so it made sense for us to come off tour wherever we were at on the east coast fly to new york real quick and we shot kill a man and hand on the pump um you know back to back we did kill a man one day hand on the pump the other day the next day and when we did kill a man um we jumped all around we you know we were in by astor square or whatever and we were in harlem we were in uh where else? I think you were in the Bronx. We were in the Bronx. We were in, in, in on 42nd Street. We right, right, Times Square. And so when we were in Ast at Astor's place, Astor Place, Astor yeah. Place, um, I, I believe Q-Tip was, uh, you know, he had just got off the train from coming somewhere and saw it happening, and he sh he just showed up. You know That's what I mean? dope. And and he was like, oh shit, oh this is Cypress. Okay, you know, so he got in with us. Shout out to Tip for that. And uh, Cube, he had just flown into town. He had been hearing about Cypress Hill through EPMD. Salute to EPMD, because they were like fucking like a street team for us, if you will. They were the first ones telling everyone about us. They were telling like Chuck D and, and, and uh, uh, guys like Busta Rhyme through leaders. All, all their homies that they would, 
get on tour with, they were telling people about it. So Ice Cube hears that we're shooting a video. Boom, he comes to the fucking video. And that's when you first met him. And that's when we first met him, yeah. And uh, that's how they got in the video. Now, you know, we were always in New York because we were one of the few West Coast groups, probably the only West Coast group at the time, to be launched out of New York on the Sony label in New York, which is the mothership, as opposed to the Sony out here on the West Coast. They felt that these guys wouldn't know what to do with us, so they launched us from out there with Rough House Records, which was based out of Philly. So everything was East Coast-based for us in the beginning, so it made sense for us to do these two videos in New York and get that flavor because Muggs was from New York as well. But it was totally by chance that, that um, and the other guys that are in there. Yeah, who else is in there? The UMCs are there. Okay. You know, because they were like, you know, putting out, they were putting out their shit at the time too. And they just happened, they happened to hear we were there. So they came and, you know, they got down with this. Tim Dog. Right. That was like set up by Sony because Tim Dog was releasing and we were releasing at the same time and they sort of wanted to have a connection. And Cube was really weird about that. He would not... Because it was a fuck Compton shit, right? Yeah, and he was like, hey man, I got to go home and eat. And, you know, I got to live and I can't be buddy-buddy with this motherfucker right here. And uh, I totally understood that. We didn't necessarily, you know, we weren't totally comfortable with that either, but, you know... When Donnie Einer is asking, you don't fuck around and say no. He was the boss? He was the boss of bosses at Sony. Him and Tommy Mottola. Yo, I, you know, just the names that you, you mentioned there and the EPMD and Naughty and like the community of now are some, some legends and tips showing up to the video and Ice Cube and Tim Dog and... I mean, do you do you miss? Is that? Is, I mean, like you guys have that community because you came up with it, but like that's such a special time. It was because we all got down together. You know, you remember um, when they used to do the Jack the Rappers, the Gavin Report, and uh, the New York Music Seminar. Those were all places that we would commonly go because we had music we had to put out. There, you know, labels were always sending us there to promote ourselves and the music and the single to all the people in the industry and shit like that so you know we would always end up in these same places um if we weren't on tour and a lot of the time the guys that were hanging out was uh brand nubians well lord jay and sadat from the nubians and buster and sometimes tip and fife and myself and and uh the guys from naughty uh-huh. you know any one of them if not all three and, you know, and Large Professor, shout out to my man, Large Professor. We, you know, we would hang out all the time when we were at different conventions or whatever the fuck they're called now, seminars, right. whatever. So, it, you know, it was very much united. We all supported each other. I mean, if you look at um, the Killer Man performance on MTV Daytona Spring Break, you'll see all those cats on stage with us. On, on whatever our last song was there, I think it was Killer Man, they all sort of popped up Black Sheep. Right. You know, Drez, right. you know, it was all, all of us were always hanging out. That's so and, dope. And uh, I think, you know, that's, that's definitely what's missing from hip hop because now everybody, it went back to everybody having their own kingdom and being isolated and doing their own shit rather than getting down together and showing the unity of that. But I mean, you know, it's, it's all about cycles in hip hop. 
Right. You know, one minute everybody's all together, one minute everybody's fucking on their own, and then it, you know, flips back. It's, it, it, it happens, you know. And uh, But that was a great time because everybody showed up to everybody's show, supported each other. Photographers had great fucking opportunities to get those in. I, I would imagine once a lot of those old school photographers, if they haven't passed on by now, whatever work they have that gets you know given to somebody maybe when it gets transferred over into the digital you'll see that shit pop up on the instagrams the twitters and the facebooks and all that stuff because there's a whole lot of there was this 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 legendary photographer in the hip-hop game he was like an indian guy but native ernie Ernie. yeah yeah (laughs) he shot everybody on the east coast like everybody and out here you got guys like estevan orio and uh cesario Right. You know, Montez or Montana, sorry. Right. Good friends of mine. And they've shot everybody out here on the West Coast. And when they were on the East Coast, they they did shoots too. But, I mean, when all that shit gets digitized and and people actually get what what that hip-hop shit was, I mean, you know, we get nostalgic for it. Yeah. But, you know, you need that history out there. I I agree, man. And, you know, it's like we we could sit here and look at these old jazz photos of, like, Thelonious Monk smoking a cigarette backstage. You'll see John Coltrane. To me, you know, that that scenario which you just walked me through and those names and, like, those visions of Astor Place and you guys being together at Jack the Rapper, like, to me, it's the same thing. Like, I'm like, I goosebump out. Do you do you remember, like, I know it's a long time ago. Do you remember the first time you heard the beat for Kill a Man? And Muggs rhymed on that he, joint, right? He didn't. That's actually Send Dog. I mean, wait, but in the video, <laughs> In the Muggs, video, so it's we'll, Muggs. So how, how did that work? Why was he doing that, that verse in the video? Okay, so when, when I heard Kill a Man, I, you know, the beat for it, I was like, oh, shit. Because the beat was just so fucking slamming. And, you know, Muggs had a, a, a totally different style. So, you know, to begin with, everything that he was coming up with, I mean, you know, we were pretty much on the same page with everything musically. You know, we liked the same shit. Him and I were like a mirror in that regard. So I always just sort of like I was there, geeked off the fucking beats he was flipping. So when he got Killer Man, you know... I had I had a piece of something and he liked that piece and then he said, Hey, you know what? We got this song. Lift this piece to go with that piece and let's see how that sounds. And so we did that. And then there was another song that had another piece that would be the third verse. So we pieced that joint together like a puzzle. Okay. You know what I mean? Because the styles that I was flipping on other beats kind of match this one. Okay. And uh, he he fucking totally, you know, he called that one because I wouldn't have called it. I would have written something totally new to it. But he was like, no, take this. Let's take this and put it with what you wrote already. And, and it fucking ended up working. And, you know, it became 
a crazy fucking song for us um, in terms of what was the other part? Why was he rhyming in the video? Okay, so why he was rhyming in the video is because when we were coming up with what our sound would be behind Muggs' beats, in the beginning I was rapping in, in this sort of voice, an aggressive version of this voice. And that wasn't cutting it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I was given the option to either come up with something different or just write for Send Dog and, you know, be part of the crew <laughs> like that. You know, that's how real we were with each other. You know what I mean? We were friends like that, that we would tell each other the honest goddamn truth. And, you know, we made each other better in that regard. So I started tinkering with this voice um, that... Mellow Man, um, Sendog's younger brother, and myself were very much inspired by, and Sendog too, Ram Z from Wildstyle. Yep. Now, he had a voice where he rapped like this. This is the brother they call the Ram L and blah, 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 you know? And then he would flip it and go into that high shit. And so I thought, well, fuck, let me try doing that high shit, you know? So it was inspired by Ram Z. And I didn't like it at first, but Muggs loved the fuck out of it, and so did the other guys. And I had to learn this style, you know, for five years doing the live shows in the beginning. And they were tough trying to keep that voice, you know, sounding like the record. I was sounding like Buster Rhymes for a long time because I was smoking blunts, uh, drinking Jack Daniels, and that wasn't conducive to sounding like I was on the record. But, you know, that's that's where I got the style from, and... You know, when I got that style, Sendog felt like he had to come up with something that that um, that was a compliment, yet a contrast to it, which was the psycho beta. Like mm -hmm. we named the voices like the nasal high, which was my style and the psycho beta, which was his his flavor flavor style hype parts like yeah and so he came up so this was this wasn't just like this was sort of like you guys worked to that yes point. we crafted all this right that's and, fucking and, dope and so when come time to do the video send dog didn't think that people would accept him doing both parts like that so he wanted to be known more for the beta part than Dude. that part. So Muggs ends up doing Send Dog's verse in the video. In the video. And, uh, you know, Send Dog stuck with the beta. But, like, when we did the live shows, for a time, Muggs did them, but, like, <laughs> the voice wasn't the same. So I got people you. started knowing. And so Send Dog start, just started doing the part. You know, especially when Muggs wasn't touring, you know, then you would get, oh, shit, that's Sendog's voice. That's fucking, I never heard that fucking, so I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. So when you guys now, like, I'm going to jump all over the place. Yeah. You know, I love the new record, Elephants on Acid, which is, how many records have you guys made? That would be, uh, uh, for Cypress? I believe, our ninth studio album. So when you guys got to this record, how do you even approach it? Like, you've done stuff... On your own, you know, Muggs has obviously done stuff. You guys have, you know, done so much Cypress stuff. How do you, at this point, as grown men, as you've sold over 20 million fucking records at Cypress Hill. Right. And, you know, and, and I, you know, I know there's three of you guys, so, but I'm asking, you know, you're the only one who's here right now. Right. You know, when you guys get to Elephants on Acid, how do you even approach a song like do you guys know like my favorite joint on it is the band of gypsy shit which i think should go that's, seven minutes that's one of my favorites too yeah. that is my fucking shit yeah mugs did the damn thing on that album man you know it, it, as tradition has it with with mugs producing we we trust 
and we go with what he what what his vision is because he usually his musical visions are usually fucking you know punching motherfuckers in the face you know and we felt like band of gypsies was that brand of cypress hill but like right now and you know what what followed with the album like the dark obscure trippy psychedelic shit i mean you know that's a part of who we were but we never really explored that deep into it like we we did with this one it's very dark and mugs wanted to create a scenario where you're listening to it and you feel like you're you're tripping on mushrooms or acid but it's really the audio that's it's really tripping you out and we're trying to put out visuals to go with that as well but you know we felt like I've, you know, at least um, I'll, I'll speak for myself here. You know, I felt like I would do one last Cypress Hill album. And if I was going to do one last Cypress Hill album, it would be with DJ Muggs at the helm. I didn't know what it would turn into because we hadn't worked in eight years, you know, with, with Muggs. You know, the, the Rise Up album, he did a few tracks on it, maybe two. I, I did a couple and... We did what Cypress Hill normally doesn't do. We went out of our own box, which is, you know, we went and got produced production from like Pete Rock and Mike Shinoda, and uh, there was another other producer on there, uh, Shuko, I think it is, and and a, a couple more. We had different producers, and and like, you know, like the shit we've always talked about in doing that. You don't really have a lot of cohesiveness in an album when you do that with other like when with you're other picking producers. yes but when you have one producer there's a sound there's a cohesiveness to it and in that rise up album that's what was missing i mean we had good songs on them mm-hmm. I, I take away nothing from the songs they were fucking dope um but the cohesion that usually that comes with a cypress hill album wasn't there right i could admit that as being a member of the fucking band right, right. so there's a yeah such a distinct sound when yeah. you guys are in the pocket. And with it and with mugs, because yes. this is something that we all created together. And, you know, like I said, it had been a while, but I felt like, you know, if I'm gonna do a last one, let me call my brother. Let's, you know, iron shit out and get it right and, and figure out when we're gonna get this going and you know when we're gonna have it done. Now we started probably about three, four years ago. On this record. On this record. Which is much like our first album, you know, our first album, that took like a culmination of, you know, three, in between three and five years. I can't remember, but, you know, we were working on that shit for quite some time before we gave it to a label. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we we were working on a lot of it. Sony went, or Rough House, when they ended up signing us, we were pretty much close to done with that record. We had only done maybe three songs after the fact to add to what we had so we had ample time to work on work on the album um but this one it was the same thing you know we started (laughs) three years ago but this was due to you know the reason it took so long for us this time was because you know now mugs has got you know, a bunch of different projects. He's working with the Antwerp and or however right. you say that. Right? Yeah. yeah, you don't <laughs> want to get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, he was working with them and I love their shit, by yeah, the way. Yeah, their yeah. shit is crazy. I like it. Um, you know, he's working with them. So he had a number of things going on. 
I had Prophets of Rage, solo shit, um, stuff that I was doing with the exhibit in Demerick and the serial killers. So, I, you know, I got tied up. Sendog had Power Flow and uh, Bobo had Beat Junkies. I mean, uh, Cypress Junkies and Ritmo Machine. And, and you know, he's doing scores for, um, for you know, like uh, ser- like Latin netflix type series oh, shit, in, okay. in, in argentina so you know everybody was was out there doing something and uh oh yeah and then i was doing the fucking burner and be real projects the right. prohibition stuff so you know it we all kind of had all this stuff going on that took away from what we were doing with uh with cypress hill and eventually you know when once we got all this stuff underneath our feet we, you know we went back and started finishing out maybe about a year ago and then after that it was just about mugs getting comfortable getting the mixes getting the arrangements to the way that he liked them you know because it is filthy grimy dirty fucking dark Fuck yeah and and you know here's the thing you know our our tradition in the studio was you do this shit and then you leave it don't get married to it because whatever you heard that day is probably going to change you know, several times, you know, before Muggs decides what he likes on it, he may flip it to something totally different. And when you're married to it, you might get burned out when you hear like, oh, man, that's not what I flipped to that. that this doesn't sound like I like the other one. And th- at that point, you're not letting a producer produce. Got you. Know what I mean? You're being a fucking prima donna. Right. And, and you know, we always were the ones able to put our egos aside and trust and, and shit you know what i mean so whatever we laid there did sometimes it doesn't come back the same and we know that and when i heard the first run of the album i was like oh shit did you this, like it were you I, like what the fuck i was like i heard the direction he was going in and you know because i didn't i didn't know what to expect you know and uh, i was like this is gonna be some real cypress hill shit like those temple of boom fans that like the dark grimy shit i was like this is right up their fucking alley it's fuck it's definitely one of the darkest joints and like that song um band of gypsies like to me you're so in the pocket as as cypress like the way you guys come in and even the way sen comes in i don't know what the musical term is but he kind of like comes in on the beat he doesn't wait for the beat to start yeah When you're writing now, are you hearing that beat? Like, you're saying he's changed things, but like specifically that song, are you writing to a beat? Are you writing to a tempo? How does it work? Well, for that Band of Gypsy songs, he didn't change, well, he changed uh, a couple things, but the core of it, he left the same. So that that crazy, grimy shit you hear in the beginning, um, he left that. And that's, that. you know, for me, I like to tailor-make the flow to whatever that beat is so i you know for me i was riding the pocket in in different spots that you know you don't normally hear and try not to be too wordy so that it doesn't go past people's fucking heads because sometimes we try to over rap shit
curb, you just wanna swerve with the little herb Absurd, got you paranoid in the paragraph When I paraphrase, got a paradroidance dancing on your fucking face on that one, I just wanted to, to, to bust a, a style that I thought complemented the style of beat in which he did there. And it made it easy, man. Like some of those beats like that that are so different, like nobody's rocking no shit like that right now. Hell no. You know, and it, it, it gives me inspiration to find different pockets in the flow that maybe I haven't rocked before. Okay. And, and that's definitely a style that I, I haven't rocked before. Are you still like, challenge do you still challenge yourself i guess you do like pockets in the flow different kinds of flows because oh yeah you know i you know i hate to be like oh we're the old dudes fuck the new shit but like you know krs you know it was part of like the rhymes many styles like tribe would say like krs was like always like the flows the changes like it was part of your like if we're talking about like basketball or sports, it was part of your sneakers. Yeah. It was like, yo, Kyrie's got those with the green and the neon. Like right. flows were like your limited kicks. It's it's like uh it's like uh Michael Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, Magic Johnson, right? Or or you know, whatever whoever your great was, right? During the regular season, you saw some moves. And you had to try to get with those moves to try to stop these guys. And those particular three or four moves they did during the season. When playoffs come, they show you a couple different looks that you didn't see before. Stuff you can't really stop. And that's what a flow is. You have, you know, all these different flows in your fucking repertoire. You know what I mean? And you're constantly trying to have different ones that you can bust out and chop a head off with, you know what I mean? Because it's very much like sports. Everybody is competitive in this game. It, it, you know, that's, I think that's the way we all looked at it because, you know, hip-hop in its f- true original form was, you know, of a competitive nature. Uh-huh. So we're looking at it like we're, you know, a franchise team. We're constantly going for the fucking championship. Now, sometimes you just contend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you don't get that championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's important to keep the you know your team locked, your, your franchise locked, and always be able to at least compete and contend for that fucking title. So it flows and content and the shit you're saying in the songs and the beats, all that is, is wrapped up in that. At this point, you've made so many, you've made iconic songs straight up like fucking, like, I mean, you would think that how, how I Could Just Kill a Man would be pop music, but it's like so fucking, like, you're like, when you listen to this shit, you're like, how I just kill a man, like, you know, the shit somehow pop music. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's sing songy. You've made, you know, like hood bangers, you've made, you know, like mashups, you've made Prophets of Rage shit. So like specifically like with uh, Band of Gypsies, like do you know like instant like, yo, this is a banger? Yeah, you know, after, you know, once Muggs does all the shit to it and all the arrangements and we hear that shit, we're like, yeah, this is something for sure. Um, Are you able to get perspective? Like when are you able to get perspective on it? Does it take years or performance? You know, it... It's a combination, right? So, like, once Muggs gives us to it in its whole form, because we never hear it song by song. Okay. Again, we, 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 we don't get married to it. We do the song, we hear it that day, and then we forget about it so that, you know, we don't have any expectations of where it's going to go. Got you. And, you know, but there are some songs, right, when you do them, you're like, oh, shit, this is, this is that, this is one of those songs. 
And when when we did Band of Gypsies, I definitely felt that, that you know, and I, I think that's why it's the lead song on Elephants on Acid that we came out with because it's one of those things that just slaps. And and you know, as of late, you, we we always try to mix our live setup and you know make sure that we're playing enough of the new songs and stuff. So we start off with the Band of Gypsies. Do people right? get fucking nuts for oh, it? Oh, yeah, they fucking been getting nuts for it. It's a trip because, I mean, you know, it's... It's, it's so classic Cypress. I, yeah. I posted on Instagram the day the record I saw came that, out. Yeah. I went on my hike and I was like, this is that shit. And I, it took me like the rest of the day to get past because I was like, yo, it just was like... It was fucking softball. Like, if it was a softball, it was like slow pitch. Knock that shit out of the park. And I was just like, what the fuck is this <laughs> Thank shit? Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely one of my favorites on, on, on that album. All right. You, like, live shows, you know, you, you perform with Prophets. You perform with Cypress. You know, I'm sure there's probably no way you could keep track of how many live shows you've done. You know, wow. you're, you're definitely, like, an iconic live performer. Cypress Hill is an iconic live group, you know, with the weed, with the energy, with the whole thing. Like, and at this age, what do you have to do? Like, with Prophets, you know, like, it's a different <laughs> tempo. Oh, Cypress, yeah. you know, when you, how long do you perform with Prophets? How long do you perform, you know, with Cypress when you guys do a full show? And, like, you know, you're, you're not 21 you're not at Lollapalooza in 94. Right. I was at motherfucking Randall's Island. I got a picture I'm going to show you of when I first met you at Randall's Island in 94, Lollapalooza. You know, the, the, you guys were rock stars. I don't want to get off the subject, but, like, how do you, like, approach live shows now? Because you have to sort it's a You're sweating when you come off the stage. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like cardio, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, because, you know, we, we, um, we play a lot of songs that are maybe up, 100 BPMs close to the 90s and that's all up tempo shit you know and that that's more words per second on a verse than than you know something that's at like uh 80 or 60 or 70 unless you're rapping that double time shit um so it's a lot and we move around a lot you know we we come from that school where you know you give a lot of energy output you know busting out those fucking verses and stuff like that and you know we we looked at uh guys like krs1 public enemy leaders of the new school as uh inspiration of of you know how to give shows and and even digital underground right they, they had one of the dopest shows um so we knew like okay to get up there and compete with these guys we got to give 100 percent energy and it's got to be clean and the mixture of songs, you know, song placement, we got to take them on a ride, like a roller coaster ride, you know? So we just sort of uh, put our mindset to the same task that we did in the studio, be out of the box, be different, be clean, and uh, ha have confidence that we can fucking do this, right? So, you know, when we got to Lollapalooza, we were still raw, we were still fine-tuning our show, but we saw that what we were doing and the energy output of our body language along with, you know, kicking the verses on point. Right. Not being sloppy, off the beat, running out of breath type shit. Right. You know, people were fucking digging it. And so, you know, that just became a thing. Like, you know, that was one of our competitive things. Like, you know, we might have been cool with you. You might have been our homie. But we were looking to cut your fucking head off on stage and, you know... We cut a lot of heads off. You wanted to, you had pride in like, yo, a Cypress oh, yeah. show is a show. We didn't care who was on it. 
And sometimes we got slashed in the face, you know, like every group does. Right. But we cut off a lot of heads, you know, friends too, you know, it, and it happens. Right. You know, every group is trying to tear that stage down. It's just who tears it down the illest. And, and for us, it was a long, it was us for a long time. And, you know, we met our match a couple times for sure, but that's what it's all about. And it's still that mentality today. Like, we're going to go up here. Our old asses are going to come up here. We're going to fuck y'all up. And whoever's coming after us, God bless you. You know what I mean? And that's the mentality we have. And, and going into, like, Prophets of Rage, it's the same mentality. We're, like, going up there not to be the second best band. We're going up there to be the first. We're going up there to be the best. So we're all coming to chop your fucking head off on, on that one, no matter who it is, you know? And uh, it's fun because it's two different energies. You know, you got the hip-hop energy with Cypress, but we, we do have that punkish, metalish type vibe within our hip-hop vibe, you know what I mean? And then you got the 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 prophets of rage which are like not necessarily metal but it's it's fucking rocking with the with the hip-hop sensibility but it's way more aggressive because of the sound and you know what we're playing which is a combination of cypress hill public enemy rage against the machine along with our our own shit so it's a different energy but to do all that man my workout regimen is really fucked up you have to be in shape got to be in shape for that man because if you're not in shape to do those two shows because i i talk a lot you know for a time i'll be with cypress and i'll have maybe a month off and then boom it's time to go with fucking profits and vice versa and you know it's two different energies but it's all output and you know it you got to be ready for it. I mean, every all, all the guys pretty much do something to keep active, to keep in shape, uh, you know, to do these shows and just to be healthy in, in general, to take right. care of yourself. But yeah, I mean, from Cyprus to, to profits, you know, most of us, you know, get in that gym and, and do some work. That's fucking dope. With profits, Chuck D., what does it mean to you to be rocking with Chuck? What does Chuck D mean oh, man. to you as a fan? Like your your friends, he's, your peers in a group. He's he was the he was the everything man. I mean him and KRS One were the two biggest influences directly. We were inspired by Run DMC. They were our favorite. Know what I mean? And I still rock some Run DMC today because the Kings were the Kings and they fucking reigned for a long time and they made tons of good shit. You know what I'm saying? Great classic shit. But who who was our influence in the way we did it was KRS-One for me because he he flipped styles like 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 we were talking about. He flipped styles. He took whatever style that was the thing in hip hop at the time and totally fucking flipped it on its ass and made everybody step up game. Uh-huh. And I loved that right there. And I thought. You know, if I'm going to do this shit, that's the same thing I'm going to do. I'm going to be flipping styles. I'm going to, you know, do what the fucking teacher does. You know, I was down with the Kings, but I was taught by the teacher and inspired by Chuck D. Because the way they did Public Enemy, the contrast of voices and the flipping back and forth of, of the hype parts and the main shit and what they were talking about and how they talked about it and the way that their music was structured was so different, you know, that they were a crazy influence on us, you know what I mean? And 
I got a lot of my game from from KRS-One and Chuck D. What is it like to 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 make songs with him now? It's it's awesome because like you know you're you're there and you know growing up to this fucking guy i mean you know send dog and myself and 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 the rest of our cypress crew we were all like epmd public enemy fans and fucking beasties and all that but what really cranked when we were going somewhere was some public enemy so we'd be listening to that shit left and right and send dogs regal and the homie ferns fucking uh monte carlo or what was it fuck i can't remember it's grand dam actually uh-huh. he had a grand dam and we were pumping that shit hard acting like we were like the 98 posse in the two fucking cars and shit right so to be in that position when i was a kid to now like i'm right here in the studio with this guy and the magic happens just out of nowhere the way he creates is like he's an artist he's a true artist man i mean you know not just somebody who 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 actually says something that means something but his his artistry is fucking crazy too and he, he you know as an artist who who draws and paints and shit like that ridiculous so it's an honor to be there with a man and i it's it's kind of surreal to be honest with you because when we were in demo mode like early on there was a club called the penthouse lounge down here in los angeles it was close by here actually um it was like a a, a small like a condo type building but they used to throw this club on the top floor and you know the hip-hop scene here in la moved from one place to another much like new york right bunch bunch of different spots but they had to renegade it and keep moving around and it, it eventually ended up on this rooftop and uh chuck d happened to be there but he didn't have his hat on he was just kind of being incognito with you know but he was chuck d but he was chuck we knew chuck because we were fucking massive fans of public enemy so we seen him there and his la dudes la kids we don't roll up on celebrities because we know you know the assholes they they could be at that time you know right you didn't want to get embarrassed and and if you're a street kid like we were we would have fucked you up for that (laughs) you know what i'm saying for the disrespect bodyguards or not right we would have just did that so to not let ourselves down or not allow the celebrity to let us down with who they might have been we never approached him but this was chuck d and we were all massive fans so i rolled up on him and i said hey chuck i know you're incognito man but we fucking love you keep doing what you're doing hopefully one day we're going to be right there with you. And he, and he turned to hey, I appreciate that, man. You know what? Keep making music. Keep doing that shit. And maybe one day you will be doing that shit. Like, you know, he, he gave me five fucking seconds. Right. And I was like, damn, Chuck D said something to me, right? And who fucking knew that we would, you know, get the success that we, we had and eventually do shows with Chuck? Right. And, and, you know, the first time I told him that story was on um, Smoking Grooves tour. And it was us, Public Enemy, and uh, the Refugee All-Stars, Wyclef, Cannabis, uh-huh. and Proz, and, and those guys. And, and uh, I can't remember who else was on that joint right at this time. But, you know, we were, uh, <laughs> we were on that tour. And what we would do as Cypress Hill at that time is we would tell the promoters we wanted to... Um, a meeting, uh, autograph signing booth where we can go take pictures and, you know, sign autographs and just be with the fans. No right. one else had done that at that time. 
nerd that you know meet and greets didn't exist right 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 but we did that we That's did that dope. all three years of of smoking grooves that we co-headlined that shit we for free for free we didn't charge nobody shit right we signed everybody's shit before we went on stage right and we told chuck hey you know if you guys want to come down and sign some autographs at the booth more than welcome you know bring whatever you got or just bring yourself and he said you know and he came down and he saw it and there was lines like three four hundred kids well whoever was playing you know they're right there waiting to get autographs from us and he goes wow what made you think of this you know like this is some cool shit right and i said x amount of years ago we were at penthouse lounge you gave me five minutes of your time and i told myself if i was ever in the position you were in i'll always give five minutes to the fans right and he said and he said to me, you know, that's crazy because somebody told me one time and I instill this to you is the five minutes that you take to give a fan, they'll remember it for the rest of their life, whether if it was a positive moment or a negative moment. And I said, well, you gave me a positive one and that's what caused this. That's fucking dope. You know what I mean? And I told the same shit to Method Man one time when he told me that like we met you know, at some club, I think it was a tunnel right before Wu-Tang came out and he said something to me and I, and, and I, I replied something back to him, sort of like how Chuck, you know, said to me. Right. And he eventually told me this and I was tripping out because that knowledge, you know, it gets passed down. Right, that right, fucking right. love gets passed down. So, you know, that, that, that Chuck gave to me. So we thought of that because of him. And when I broke that down to him, you know, he, we became really good friends at that moment and i did not know that i'd be in a group with him all these years later he's a very special dude to me man he's like like my older brother that's dope yeah that's fucking dope um the touring you guys got so big and you were young it was like rock and roll style like what do you remember like you had chicks. There was the weed. You guys were like ahead of the game in terms of like the weed. Legalize it was like on, on your second joint. Like you guys were, is there like one sort of, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of them and I'm sure there's little stories inside the little stories. What would be, if I said, be real, what's your craziest tour story? Good, bad, or indifferent fight, chicks, 19 girls. What's like the craziest shit that you, like off the top of your head, like you say, this is the ice cream sundae. The ice cream sundae. Fuck, that's a hard one. Because there was, like you say, there are so many stories. Um, <laughs> uh, fuck, there was so many. But I'll tell you, there was one time, it was a prank got played on me by my good friend Everlast. We were on the Soul Assassins tour. We had a whole lot of fun on many tours, but, you know, this was like a family thing. You know, we had Soul Assassins. Uh, uh, I mean, it was uh, House Pain, Funk Dubious, Alchemist that was a part of the hooligans along with Scott Kahn, uh -huh. who's on Hawaii Five-0 uh -huh. now. No, not too many people know that. They, they were called the hooligans, and they were opening up, and, you know, it was just like a, a family fucking thing, right? And we pull up to St. Louis, I think. I think that was the city. And right across the street from our venue, they're having a fucking police convention there. Police from everywhere, Right. And just so happens that two two of the security guards that were working for House of Pain or working for us or whatever they they were just security in general. Two of them were were uh, 
retired LAPD detectives, right? Uh So they knew a couple cats over there um, in the fucking, in the convention, right? So I'm on the bus and I got like a pound of weed on the table and I'm rolling some fucking weed up and it's myself, Eric Bobo, and one other person and our security guard. And, you know, we get a knock on our fucking bus door. Hard cop knocks. You know what I mean? You know exactly. Right. It's not like your friend trying to. No, it's not like no little bitch knocking. Our knock was always just that one knock, right? We knew it wasn't our knock. We knew that was a cop knock, right? And fucking so he opens the little curtain. He goes, oh, shit. There's cops right outside the fucking door. I'm like, don't let them in, man. (laughs) Don't let them in. He goes, shit, man. They're flashing a fucking badge. They're about to come in. I said, lock the fucking door. Don't let them in. He goes, I can't. I got to let them in. And and I'm like right there with the fucking pound of weed. I'm like, fuck it, right? They got me. They burst through the door. They fucking put him, you know, behind the fucking, you know, like driver's seat of the steering wheel. Like he's hemmed up. And two guys come in. Freeze. Blah, blah, blah. You know, all the cop talk that they do, right? Are you like, oh, shit. I'm like. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh shit! I'm looking at Eric Bobo like, damn, I'm fucked right now because this is a pound of weed in Kansas City, right? Right. And two, three seconds later, fucking Everlast comes in. Gotcha. That's fucking funny. He, oh man, it, you know we were rolling hard after that, but fuck that, like for a split second, that drop, like, that the heart drop. You know how like your heart goes. You know, I was like. For years, I thought, how am I going to get this guy back for that one? You never got him back? I never fucking you got him really back. You can't really get that back. You can't get that back. That was probably one of the best pranks you could fucking play that on. That was punked before punked. Yeah, he punked the fuck out of me with that, bro. Because, like, really, I thought I was done. And, uh, you know, they come in. They're like, ah, oh, we're just fucking with you. Your fucking friend got us to come in here. Ugh. And then they ended up, you know, selling us bulletproof vests. Oh, and fuck shit. All kinds of shit like this. That's funny. You've been all over the fucking world. Yeah. All, all, every continent, right? Yeah. Back and forth. Yeah. If I had now, you're settled down now. I'm a married man. But in, in your heyday, if you were to write a book, hmm. the baddest chicks in the world are where? <laughs> Fuck. Like, just, just aesthetically, like, yo, beautiful women are in, like, you, just in terms of, like, yo, if you were telling a young man, like, yo, when you tore in. Columbia. You were in Colombia throughout your whole career. We've been there like maybe three times, I think. But, you know, noticeably, yeah, they, they have very beautiful chicks down there. You're, in the, you're, you're on the stage doing your shit, and it's just... You know, with, with us, it's a whole lot of fucking dudes. It's, it's sausage soup. Yeah, but... But you, but, but, you, but, you were but, a fucking sex but, symbol but, in your prime. <laughs> yo, this motherfucker... Yo, you... Let's talk about stick man. You were like that. You were a rock star. No, I, I, I used to fuck with this chick, and she was like, "I'm gonna come to LA. I'm gonna meet him. I'm gonna leave your fucking ass." I was like, "This fucking guy," but like you were that dude. Well, uh, you know, Cyprus was was kind of different. Um, that we did aggressive music, and we did have a lot of female, um, you know, a lot of female fans. Um, yeah, so it wasn't uncommon to go down to somewhere like Colombia or Brazil uh-huh. or, or, you know, any of those places and see a number of beautiful chicks in the crowd. You know, Italy, 
uh, you know, all over pretty much that, that we went. It was a trip because, you know, we didn't think, we didn't think um, women would dig our music. You know, we thought it would be like for young homies like right. on the streets and shit like that. We didn't really think about if if the chicks would be buying the record. We hoped that they would. Right. But we didn't know that they would. Right. We knew the hard rock thug homies would fuck with that because it's life they're living. You know what I'm saying? Right. But who knew? And, you know, we did throughout the years see a lot of beautiful chicks like, but... Um, yeah, as a whole, probably Colombia. All right, all right. I never been. I'm afraid. Look, th there was a dude we met down there, and he was an American dude. Um, can't remember his name at the time. I think his name was Richie something, Rich, Rich something. And I don't know if he he was uh, he was in the music industry to some degree. It was the first time I had ever met him, but other people knew him. And uh, so I asked him. I said, "So how long are you out here for?" He goes, "Fuck, I live here." I said, you live here? He goes, yeah, you know, like once I came down here, fuck, I couldn't go back. I, you know, I went home for a week. I told everybody goodbye and I fucking came got back. Got my shit? Got all my shit. I said, how long have you been here? Goes, I've been here about 10, 15 years. I'm the white guy everybody loves over here. And yeah, I think it was from New York as well. Definitely wasn't from L.A. He had that New York swag. That's funny. And, you know, that's what that place does to you. I got you. You know I got what I'm saying? You. I got it makes you. you want to go stay over there if you're that guy. I right got there. you. Um, the usually obligatory question is top five MCs, but ah, yes. But I'm not gonna. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw that at you. I'm not gonna throw that at you because you're known as uh, one of the members of Cypress Hill. So I'll say outside of uh, Cypress Hill, obligatory question: B Real's top five groups ah. of all time. Ooh. That's and you can leave some out. You could even have a cherry on top if you if you know. Oh shit! That's, interchangeable. That is fucking good, man. Thank you. That is a good question because it's it's hard. There's there's been so many fucking good groups throughout the years. Um, but you got to have the beasties up there. And this is in no particular order. No particular but, order. But you got to have the beasties up there. You got to have Public Enemy up there. Now. Obviously, you got to have Run DMC up there, but they're a do. Yeah, they were a group because there was three: um, Wu Tang mm. and Tribe Called Quest. Okay, I would put De La Soul up there too. It, it's hard because I mean they—they're underrated. They're underrated like a motherfucker, but they made jams that, like, hip hop doesn't form in all these different places without those guys. Mm. Because they, they were doing some out-of-the-box different style shit from their first record until, you know, even to now. Like, they were so different. They didn't sound like like Tribe. Tribe didn't sound like them. They had some of the same sensibilities, but, like, it was totally, like, you know, it, it was some different shit. Like, they, like, once we heard Plug Tunin down here, we were like, what the fuck? fuck is that it you know it started opening up our minds on where you could actually go that wasn't necessarily in the same box as all these other artists man i mean de la soul is definitely underrated they were like very inspirational i like that the group in hip-hop is gone yeah you know the migos are like a group that's the new group but you just named five you could have named 15 
Easily. Like you, you I know like just off I mean, the list, yeah, like there's brand Nubians, naughty by nature, jungle, um, jungle brothers, beat nuts, beat nuts fucking uh, Eric B and Rock Kimmer group. Yeah. I mean it goes on and on it goes and on and on and on. on. Ultra magnetics. Yeah. MC Ultra. MC Ultra. Salt and Pepper's a group. EPMD. It's just on and on and on and on and on. Now, like we say, okay, Migos is a group. Why are there no more groups in hip hop? No one wants to split the money. It's as simple as that. Say what it is, <laughs> right? Probably, you know, because it's like it gets it gets to that point where when the group blows blows up, there's always one guy that people gravitate to more, and if people are in his ear, he's gonna leave that group. Or if he's not happy with the group situation, he's gonna leave that group. So people now are just like going for broke on their own, you know. And and you see less less groups. But it's cool that Migos is a fucking group, you right. know. Maybe it inspires other cats to do the shit, you know. And 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 stay doing that format, you know. We I try to do the I, I try to keep the duo shit alive with with guys like Burner, you know, doing like what Red and Meth did, like mm-hmm. you know stay doing that form of it too so that all forms of this hip-hop shit is still alive and kicking like because i'll do a solo joint i'll do a duo joint i'll do a group setting you know what i'm saying i try to hit all that shit because that's what hip-hop is it's all of that if you start like cutting cutting shit out and it's only this one thing it's going to get redundant boring and it you know it it'll lose it's luster. I mean, some people say it has now. I don't think so because hip hop has always consistently evolved from where it started to where it's at now. It's continuously evolving. It's like nothing, no music genre like it. I agree. You know, that we were the little fucked up little brother in the beginning and now little brother is the biggest brother of Maul. <laughs> it, it's insane in the membrane. It's pretty insane. Out of all you've collaborated, uh, uh, you know, as as be real on other people's joints, um, you yeah. know, who, who's somebody like that you have never worked with that you like? I'm sure there's a few, but Jay-Z. like Jay Z, off top, Jay Z's always been one of my favorites. He's like my one of my top three. You know, love me some fucking Jay Z flip man. Like this, he's him and Eminem are two of the guys that they can shift on beats like no one else can. I get it with Eminem when you just said that, but when, when you say with Jay-Z, explain it in best details you can. His styles and pockets are fucking so clean and they're not like anyone else's. They like, you know, it's not necessarily like Eminem. It's a t- totally different get down. He's a fucking wordsmith beyond anyone. He's like a fucking alien. No, but Jay-Z, on the other hand, He's got his old get down and he's fucking sharp on every part of when he flips a different flow or whatever. And and some of the shit he's saying, I think sometimes, you know, because of uh, so much shit that's out there, you know, it might get overlooked on how dope because he is. Because he's as become a, so famous. Because, he's so iconic, yeah, I think. It's, it's like the, the same problem we had in terms of the way people looked at us in the music realm, right? Um, because he's so big, they don't look at his mechanics. They don't They don't hear his mechanics. He's they past it now. He's past it now, and they're like, oh, how come you just ain't making this mindless shit like everybody else? Right. But that's because he's a student of the game, and he's an actual fucking MC. 
He's sick. Uh, he's sick with it. He's one of my favorites and will continue to be. I haven't heard a bad song from him yet. Um, the comparison I made to him and our shit is that, you know, we for a long time got lost in their cannabis group as opposed to their hip hop, their music group. You know was what that, I mean? That was just an accident, And right? that was an accident because, you know. You we, couldn't plan that shit, right? Yeah, we were, we were championing it. But not every song was about it. I mean, you know, if you listen to uh, each and every Cypress Hill album, there's maybe two songs about weed in, in any of those albums. Uh, there's references through the songs, but there's only like two weed songs on, on every album, right? People made it more about that we are a weed group than a music group. And, that, you know, and when we do interviews, I'd have to remind them like, hey, we're a fucking music group before this. Right. We are much more than just talking about Like they think they're this. talking to fucking Cheech and Chong and yeah, shit. Yeah, you know, and it didn't really bother me because that's the bed we made. But, right. you know, I had to remind people like, hey, listen, I'm an MC. Right. Put me on a song with anybody to speak to the features that you were saying, you know, like who would who would I, fe you know, like to feature with? And, you know, Jay-Z is one of them because I like to test myself and see where I'm at. And I know that no matter who I'm on there with, we're coming for the head chop. You, you, so he's like, if Jay calls you, you're like, I would definitely do. You gotta it. like, if Buster Rhymes, who is one of my favorites, he's fucking ridiculous. That, and he's been one of my homies for the longest. And, you know, I'm surprised you guys have never rocked together. A we, I think we've maybe done one feature that we were on the same song on. I think it was, uh, for, for Space Jam, is it? Okay. Yeah, Space Jam. But we never really, we talked about doing a, a, a duo him and I for you know back in those early days because our voices you know bounced off each other yeah like that but we never got a chance to do it but I would totally fuck with Buster because he's fuck the yeah the, because he's the type of dude and this is this is what I mean is that he would take you to another level because we're, we're the type of dudes that want to you know be inspired by each other to 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 like chop each other's heads off right Know what I'm saying? You're gonna so, push each other. So we we push each other, which makes a great fucking song. So when you hear those verses, you're like, "Ooh, shit!" You know what I mean? And that's what I'm always looking for when I do, you know, a feature with somebody. Should they call me? And you know, I, the other day I was actually thinking about it. I was like, "Fuck, I've done a lot of features in the '90s. I didn't do a whole lot. I did." Maybe four tops, maybe, that Sony wouldn't allow me to get out of the group oh. and do this shit. That, you know, they had to really be okay with any of that. And for a long time, people didn't call me like that because I was in the group format. And sometimes when you're in the group format, they don't really look at you as a single verse MC mm -hmm. where you're spitting and mm -hmm. you can fucking connect and, mm -hmm. be, and be like oh damn this motherfucker's actually spitting mm -hmm. they respect me in song form but the MC form not really yet and I'll tell you you know the big part of that was DJ Quick the reason I started doing more features um, you know towards the later part of Cyprus towards the much later part of Cyprus is that DJ Quick hit me up and you know, he asked me to do a song called Fandango. And on this song, I flipped a fucking style that I hadn't flipped on any Cypress Hill verse or any, any other shit. And I, I did this flip on it. And then he asked me to pitch my voice down a little bit. Instead of being up on that high register, he asked me to come 
come down a little bit because listen i know you do this for cyprus but i think you need to relax it a little bit more and the flip will be easier mm. you know what i mean it won't sound so cutty watch me climb out the whip with the bird on my head she want to set it off in the club don't trip we crack a bottle and all my fam take a sip any haters want to pop at the lip we come up with we get the paper and savor the flavor but never forget about the haters who constantly imitate us Tell me we creators and players and rhyme sayers for layers words let me say it in terms that you can understand so clearly you feeling me fam she's on the floor because of my homie quick man she needs some more but you don't really understand yeah seen it before but now it's getting out of hand mommy's begging for more and she's posing for the cam little beat got the dance floor slam no tango straight fandango birds flock to us like heads to tangos come on so i you know i gave the tone a shot and he fucking loved it he was like dancing around in the studio like celebrating i was like oh shit and he started giving me props i had never heard dj quick give me before you know and you know like i had heard it around town and, and on radio and in interviews and shit like that that he had done i was like damn dj quick is the fucking man you know because we had never worked together at that point and, you know, and this was years later you know um and people started hearing that song and the style i was flipping on that song like mc shit right and that's when i started getting calls from some of the younger cats from other cats in our our era mm -hmm. of hip-hop they're like oh shit b-real's flipping like that whoa wait i think you know? that's a part of like a group you know de la those two guys Poss and dave are stupid stupid and but they're just like de la soul yeah you know it's part of a group thing you know like i you know there's a pros and cons to it where people take it for granted um and sometimes yeah you know it could break up a group like you said because you know well i'm nicer than this dude this dude's like you're definitely because cyprus is so iconic and there's such an impression of it i could see how that would get lost with you in in the early years because you guys were like it was like yeah, it was a group you know like public enemy right you know um and, and those of us that are MCs in groups don't get the dap like a Jay-Z and Nas and Eminem. They carry the shit on their own. You know, it, it, they don't look at it in the group form. They, you know, you guys are bouncing. It. It's, it's, it's a team. So you could get looked at as the team. Like, you know, you, people could say Cypress Hill is top five of all time. Um, but realistically, they're not going to look at me as top five MCs. Of I got all time. you. Know what I mean? Not till I go and cut their fucking idols' heads off. I got you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's all friendly competition. Right. But, you know, I don't spit with anybody who I, I don't got love for, and it's, it's never to make anyone look bad. It's it's just to, it's MC shit. It's like if you're playing elevate, ball, you're elevate the song. You know, we make each other better. Right. Um, I got two more questions. When you first heard. Hand on a pump, do, 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 do. Give me, give me the first time you heard it, that sample. Give me the, the making, uh, the ingredients of, of that song. It, you know, it was nuts when we heard that, you know, because Muggs was very much on a roll in terms of putting, you know, because when we were in demo phase, you know, he had all these different types of things that he had going on, but, you know, there were, there was one song that happened. I think it was either real. I think it was real estate, which was our first real song that was going on the album. Uh, he 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 got into a stride right there, and he started to make joints like Kill a Man after that, and 
and stuff. So when he got to fucking hand on the pump, he was very much in the fucking zone. And when we heard that, we were like, we knew the flip was coming. You know, we were like, this is going to be one of those songs where it just instantly ignites people. And, and, you know, at least that's how we felt. You could never know until you're out there performing this song, right? But what we noticed is, you know, it's one of those songs like, uh, it's it's an underrated song in terms of our, our catalog. You is it really? S- yes. When you, when you see what happens in our live set to this song, <laughs> it's fucking, it's explosive. It's ex- explosive. It wasn't as big of a song as How I Could Just Kill a Man or Insane in the Brain or Rock Superstar and none of that shit. But it's that, that dark horse. It's that dark horse song because when that song starts, you know, back in the 90s when we did it, people would just immediately ignite into a mosh pit. Like, we weren't calling for it. We started fucking emulating what was happening in front of us. So we would bring all our homies on stage and we'd all be fucking each other up, <laughs> moshing on stage, like like really doing it, you know? <laughs> we were stupid. Um, but that's what people loved about us is that we were willing to go that way and, and, and be chaotic and, and, and give them a spectacle, you know? We didn't have all the crazy visuals and bells and whistles, but what we did have was a raw energy and we took use of that and we took hold of it and harnessed it and used it to our advantage. So when we saw that down there happening, we put it on stage and then we fucking jump out. So we, we, much, we took from the page of the punk rock book and, you know, we just said, fuck it, we're going to embrace this because this is happening with hip hop. And no one had seen that except for with the Beastie Boys. And realistically, what ha- what was happening with them was people were doing the stage diving and stuff like that. But with us came the fucking mosh pits in hip hop for a time till everybody got so fresh they don't want their shit getting fucked <laughs> up and nobody wants to be bumping into each other. So then it's just jumping up and down and doing this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You That's know. fucking dope. <laughs> At least here in the States. Everywhere else is just like it used to be in the 90s. They will fuck each other up out there. Which I don't understand is dancing. I I, ne- I was always just like, I remember I Lollapool, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? This is, they go get a football helmet, it's, try out for a fucking team. It's crazy, man. Especially in Europe. You see these guys get crazy nuts. But it still h- exists here in in the states just for some groups they'll do it you know like when we went out with prophets of rage we're like okay what's the reactions going to be in a general admission style venue you know are they going to you know just do the hands up and bounce what are they going to do fuck you know we did the brooklyn brooklyn uh what's the uh, barclays ah uh. and my god man i like I didn't know what they were going to do and when we saw the overhead footage of oh shit after the show we we're like fuck it still exists here in the states too yeah some crowds they'll fucking lose their shit and they lost their shit in brooklyn i gotta tell you for prophets of rage that that first show we did over there that's dope it was nuts we were we were totally fucking stoked we we're like damn <laughs> my, my last question because i could go on and on and on and on and on what is like you guys had your thing with ice cube which i hated it got yeah. resolved you guys are all everybody's grown man yeah, it's like yeah we're good what is your take on 2018, like, I think it has been a good year for hip-hop. Um, and I think a, one of the good things about uh, a good year for hip-hop is there's been 
beef. You never wanted to go beyond record. What is your take on uh, uh, Pusha T, Kanye, Drake, Kanye, <laughs> Pusha T, Machine Gun Kelly, Eminem? Like, what is well, like? Just like in terms of like, if we were doing Fox Sports like scoring card, what would be your analysis of these those two separate little things? Well, you know, they're giving it a shot, <laughs> right? Um, you know, beef has always existed in, in, in hip-hop, you know, that there's always that shit. Some, some of it's competitive and some of it's personal. And when it gets to personal, you know, it can get dangerous, you know, because your boys don't want to look bad and, you know, in front of people. You know, and so sometimes it's your boys who, who, you know, that are backing you up and backing your name, representing your name, who actually get into all the shit. Well, the artists who are supposedly beefing are, you know, letting that happen. But uh, hopefully these dudes are responsible enough to, you know, keep it, you know, competitive and talk shit to each other on wax and not let their boys, you know, start fucking, uh, fucking each other up. Cause, right. Because that always has been the fucked up part where they, they, they point fingers at hip-hop music, rap music, and those of us who do it. Well, look what they're doing. They can't even get along. They're fucking trying to kill each other. And obviously there. the Biggie and Tupac is the, is the worst, worst yeah, of the that, worst. That was the, the, the worst example because, you know, the media perpetuated that. Those two guys were friends once upon a time. You know right. what I'm saying? And it, it was a shame to let it get to that and all the people that helped instigate it. You know what I'm saying? We don't need that shit right now. As long as they keep it competitive, I'm cool with that. Because, I mean, you know, they're all capable MCs. Right. You know? All right. Be Real, the Funky Feel one. I could go on and on and on. I, I saw something about you guys might be doing a documentary. Yes. That it, shit needs to be shot on film in fucking yeah. glorious fucking black and white. I yes. hope it fucking happens. Yes. We're doing like an Indiegogo campaign. You know, we got inspired by Dayla and how they... They did their get down with their album. So we're thinking in the same vein in terms of our documentary. It should fucking happen. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, thanking people for the 27 years of support and uh, inviting them to be a part of, of the documentary and stuff like that. So. All right. Elephants on acid. I fucking love it. Funky feel. I mean, we didn't even go into weed and all that shit. I, I, cause I, I could go. We've been talking for an hour and fucking half. We can half. do a part two another we'll, day. We'll do it. I go. We'll smoke box again and yes. get fucking getting whacked out of there. All right. Be real. Funky feel. When I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Hey, for bro, real. Anytime. For real. Anytime. All right. I want to thank Be Real for dropping golden nuggets, dropping dimes uh, on the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast. I appreciate it. Five hundred episodes. Yo. Entire rapper pack, everybody who's been rocking from the beginning, everybody who's been rocking from the, the 100th episode, 200th episode, no matter when you started listening to the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, Toronto rapper pack, South Carolina rapper pack, LA rapper pack, Chicago rapper pack, international rapper pack, Australian rapper pack. Appreciate it. 500 episodes. We got about shit. At least 500 more. It's the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. Be real. Thank you. I'm out.